Uh, welcome back to Dreams of the Past podcast. Um, in this episode, we're just going to talk about our favorite episodes. And uh, in the grand tradition of uh, having a shtick for a particular episode, <laughs> something that Supernatural does quite a lot, <laughs> um, we've decided we're not going to talk to each other about what episodes we've chosen for this episode of the podcast until right now, uh, which has been torture. Uh, usually when we're preparing uh, for an episode of the podcast, Martin and I will uh, exchange a lot of messages over the course of the weeks mm-hmm. to talk about what we liked and what we're thinking. And oh my gosh, the radio silence has been so hard. I know. Oh my God. Okay. I'm, I'm going to tell you about the one where it's super relevant second, mm-hmm. but Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was <It's> torture. <laughs> We're never doing this again. <laughs> Which is good because uh, then you get a better, uh, I think that we end up having a, well, we'll see. But I think that we end up having a much more in-depth conversation. We can think about it a little bit beforehand together, but. Yeah. I'm excited. Like, even though it was really awful, I'm excited to find out what your episodes are. Like, even though I kind of have an idea of what they might be in the back of my head, it's like... Yeah, going off of, like, how awful it was to not talk about Supernatural with you for, like, a whole two weeks. One of, we- one of the weeks was Thanksgiving. Even that was hard. Um, <laughs> was just the, like, pain of trying to pick only three episodes that are my favorite. Like... Holy crap. I yeah. procrastinated so hard on this because I was like, oh, I, I know what two of them are. I'll be able to pick the third one really easily. And then it came to be like yesterday night and I was like, oh crap. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I also had two that were like, okay, I'm like pretty sure about these two. And then the third one was a struggle. Yeah. 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 Um, and what I actually did So we kind of touched on this in the previous episode, but we decided we weren't even going to tell each other like what our rubric was for choosing the best episodes or our favorite episodes. It was going to be make your own choices based on whatever criteria you want. And like, we couldn't even share that with each other. Um, So what I did is I sort of chose three categories. to. Oh, I did. I kind of did too. (laughs) That's really funny. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah, so maybe I'll just dive into the first one. Yes, please do. Yeah, you go first. Okay. Um, Yeah, so the first episode, I decided to just choose my personal favorite, like, overall. Mm -hmm. That was a little tougher than I thought it would be because Mm -hmm. there was, like, a really obvious one. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also, I really love Supernatural's, like, themed or shtick episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the ones that do, like, cool things with the cinematography, Mm. like Monster Movie and Ghost Mm -hmm. Facers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was pulled a little bit in that direction, but ultimately I had to go with the episode that has been my favorite episode of Supernatural since I was 15 years old, which is Faith. Oh! (laughs) Oh, interesting. I was not expecting this. I mostly, yeah, yeah. I um, I mostly chose stick episodes. So like, you actually chose like a sincere and like 
you know, just regular run-of-the-mill Monster of the Week episode. You didn't even pick one that was like, oh, this is like a season finale or something. Mm-mm. No. <sighs> Faith, it's, it's so good. It is. Actually, it's like, uh, I watched it recently, even though we're probably going to talk about it in a later episode when we talk about mm-hmm. religion and supernatural. But I like, I watched it recently just as one of the episodes I was watching to remind myself of Supernatural as a show. And like, it's, uh, it deals with some heavy stuff really well, I think. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's like a really cool insight into Dean's psyche and his dynamic with Sam in a way that we haven't really seen yet in that first season, you know? Mm, that's like true. This- it's, it's Faith is season one, episode seven? Twelve. Twelve, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like the first episode where Dean, like, really, like, has to rely on Sam. Mm, yep, yep. No, I totally see that. Yeah, it's a, it's also, it's a really interesting episode because um, it's, yeah, like you said, it's really the first time we see um, Dean relying on Sam. And it's, it's interesting because, especially in the first season, there's sort of this concept that Sam is the main character and then we get things from Sam's perspective, uh, which clearly changes very quickly. But um, it's like so much of Dean's character is wrapped up in the persona of the big brother who takes care of Sam that it's really fascinating to see. And this is the first glimpse that we really get into this of, of Dean relying on Sam and Sam having to take care of Dean and also the sort of like panic the Winchesters encounter anytime they're one of them is threatened, the other one of them is threatened. So, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode that oh, I yeah. didn't pick up on the first time I watched it, but that's yeah. that is so true. And it, I wonder how much of that is intentional foreshadowing as opposed to just like, oh, these were themes that they had been were thinking about in the beginning, and then they decided to expand on those themes. Yeah, I mean, I think at least some of it is, um, like, uh, there's a point where the minister, Dean, asks him, like, why did you pick me? And the minister is like, you still have a job to do, which is almost an exact echo of what Castiel says to Dean later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that was, like, intentional in that moment or if it was a retcon but like uh also this might be like showing my hand a little bit early um but um no I actually I'm not gonna do this episode but I thought about it very heavily for one of my favorites but in the French mistake uh which is season six I forget which episode um but the one where they go to the alternative universe where they're Jensen and Jared um Mm -hmm. I was reading up about that episode because I was thinking I might do it. And uh, I went to a website called uh, the Winchester Family Business, which was awesome. Plug for them. Um, And they just basically went through the episode with a bunch of screenshots. And one of the things that they noticed was that the poster from Faith, where it says, like, LaGrange is a fraud that the guy is handing out, is posted on Bobby's wall. And oh, you really? see it in the French mistake. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. <laughs> I was just like blown away by that. That a somebody noticed, and b like 
holy crap, like, that's such a cool little detail. I can't believe they kept that in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's such, it's such a good episode. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, for me, one of the things that makes it such a good episode is that it doesn't really have a gimmick, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just about the characters and the themes of the show. Like, it's about family and the idea of sacrifice and the idea about of maybe sacrifice isn't always necessary and maybe Dean is giving up too soon or maybe Sam's too willing to sacrifice someone else. Like the whole thing is just about that dynamic, which I really mm-hmm. just appreciate that it, it just commits to that and it does it so well. Also like um, another thing that I think it does really well, which is something we haven't really talked about in Supernatural, but is definitely a huge aspect of Supernatural in that um, there's a, a lot of times in Supernatural that the show sort of points to the fact that humans don't have all the answers, and there's a lot of things that humans don't know, and even Sam and Dean, um, at the begin- especially at the beginning of the series, they know a lot about things that other human beings don't know about but there's still things that they don't know about like they didn't know about demons to begin with or angels or anything like that and faith is one of those episodes which really highlights the fact that there are a lot of mysteries that humans just don't have answers to yeah yeah um and faith seems to sort of answer the question of is there a god right that's like interfering Mm. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, it it approaches that question, and the answer seems to be probably not, which we know isn't true. Yeah. But, yes. (laughs) But, I mean, it it approaches that question, yes, but I would argue that it almost skirts away from actually answering it, because it's like, it asks that question, and then it says, well, in this instance, it was a reaper. But that doesn't mean that, like, it actually answers the question. Yeah, but it, you know, it's, it's hard to prove a negative, right? It's true. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah, but one of the things that I, really spoke to me about the episode when I first saw it a decade ago <laughs> <laughs> um, was the character of Layla, mm-hmm. and in particular, her conversation with Dean at the end of the episode, um, where he's like, oh, so I guess you're just gonna move on and give up. And she was like, she says something about like, I guess the point of like having faith is that you have to have it even when there aren't miracles. Uh, And as a 15 year old, that really spoke to my little Catholic soul. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And even as an adult, like, like it's, that conversation still really strikes a chord with me um, because I think like in terms of the broader episode and the broader show, like when we're talking about faith for the Winchesters, we're not really talking about like faith in a religious belief system or in God or anything like that. We're talking about faith in what they're doing and in each other. Um, And faith that thing, like the, things will get better Mm -hmm. because the alternative is that they won't and that's kind of crappy and how can you move forward believing that things won't get better Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think 
I don't know, that conversation with Dean in particular just seems so relevant to his character mm. and his character arc that it just hits me every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Also, um, the cinematography in that episode is really good. It is. Like, it just sort of a, an aside, like, um, particularly the bit where um, LaGrange is healing people for the first, like, in the tent, there's, they do these camera angles that are just incredible. And it's interspersed with the lady running in the forest. And, like, oh my God. The, it's so good. Also, the Netflix version changes the music, which is absolutely not okay whatsoever. Negative 1,000%. Like... <laughs> Um, if anybody's listening to this and has seen the first two seasons of Supernatural, um, on, using a digital source, either Netflix or, um, Amazon or whatever like that, uh, I think it is totally worth your time to potentially go out and actually just buy a copy of the DVDs because they've completely changed the soundtrack for the first two seasons. I think, well, the first... The first season, definitely, and then part of the second season. And in the original, in that episode, uh, it's Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper, which is so good. It's such a good song. It fits perfectly. It's just, it, it makes you tingle. Whereas, like, <laughs> this one, it, like, they did a good job, I think, trying to find a replacement. But once you've heard the original, it just, you can't replace it. It's just, it is the perfect song for that yeah. scene. That's why I had doubts about this episode. Like, I rewatched it on Netflix, and I was like, this isn't as good as I remembered. And then I, w- I was like, well, you know, they changed the soundtrack. Like, maybe it's that. But I talked to my friend C, and I was like, I rewatched my favorite episode, and I, like, didn't like it. Like, it wasn't bad, but it didn't have a punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, and like, they changed the soundtrack and maybe I'm just like upset about that. And she was like, Marit, like, you're kind of an auditory person. <laughs> Go find the original and watch it with the original music. And I did. And she was right. Like, yeah. when I watched it with the original music, it was like, oh, like, yeah. What? Yeah. When I saw the remastered version, I legit thought I was going crazy because I, cl- like, even a decade later, I clearly remembered that episode with the Blue Oyster Cult um, song, and I had such a clear memory in my head with the lady running in the forest and the, like, mm-hmm. Don't Fear the Reaper bit that I was like, no, like, am I going crazy? Is this not how this went? Like, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, they changed the song. Okay, good. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going crazy, because it's such an iconic scene such an iconic scene and i think it's it's really cool to see that supernatural has um like that like a certain level of artistry sometimes with monster mm-hmm. movie you see uh for example or some of the other more uh gimmicky episodes but like even in their just monster of the week uh episodes there's some really great like well thought out scenes yeah yeah and i'm kind of a cinematography nerd. <laughs> um, like, I really appreciate good cinematography. Um, and that might be part of why I like this episode so much, too, is because it it really is very good at that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, um, yeah, and it's, a, it's an emotional episode. 
it really does sink its teeth into this moral question of like what the Winchesters are doing because in a lot of ways they are willing to sacrifice people to save other people, right? They're they're willing to kill monsters who can't exist except by killing other people. And they're like, okay, well, we've decided that that's not okay, so we're going to sacrifice this monster to save who we decide is innocent. And it kind of turns it on the its head a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just, it asks some, like, serious questions. And, like, LaGrange is such a great character because he's not the person like making those decisions right he's a true believer Mm -hmm. he is a man who's lost his sight and he truly believes he's doing god's work and he's a very engaging person like you his interactions with the winchesters and the other people who come to his sermons he just seems like a really cool person and not sleazy and not like he's trying to do this for profit or some ulterior motive he really believes in what he's doing and he's just as manipulated as Lila is. And it's um, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that because for me, like every time when we first meet his character, I'm always like, ooh, so sleazy. That's <laughs> true. But like actually after you get to know him, he's like, oh, wait, this guy is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like legitimately, he believes he is doing like good things for people and helping people. Yeah. Um, and he's not aware of the deal that his wife has made. It's a very like Adam and Eve dynamic, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. You actually brought up another point, which is why this is one of my favorite, why this is my favorite episode. You know, as you know, I really like episodes that can be watched as a standalone. Mm. Um, And I really like episodes that contribute to overall character growth and development. Mm -hmm. And this episode is both of those things. (laughs) In the sort of desperation that both Sam and Dean have, like Dean doesn't want to be there, but Sam is so desperate. And in a way, Dean is so desperate that they end up grasping at straws and coming to this place. And it's, the same motivation that drives other people to places like that it is so I think in that way it's a very very honest episode Mm -hmm. it's very humanizing these are the Winchesters at a very low point honestly I think it's one of their most vulnerable points in the series because this is before like yeah like when they're dealing with the apocalypse that's a very vulnerable point but they have Cass and they have a lot of other resources available to them they have much more experience they have Bobby and so many other things, whereas this is really, this is before we meet Bobby, John is still missing, um, they don't have any safety net at this point, they don't have any other friends, they don't even have the experiences that, of like getting through, for example, this to mm-hmm. then tide them over in later issues, or the fact that they, like Sam hasn't even died yet, like there's so much <laughs> that they're going to experience, and like right now they're just like, they're, they don't have anything to do. Like, they can't do anything. And it's, it's a very scary concept. And I think yeah. that they translate that well for the audience. Yeah, yeah. And early on, they even draw a very explicit parallel between, like, this more 
I mean, yes, okay, there's like mystical stuff going on in the show, but at the end of the day, Dean is a guy with a heart condition who doesn't have health insurance. Yeah. And that's why he's dying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's something that anyone in the United States can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that you could develop a fatal condition and if you don't have heart health insurance, you will die. Like, that's not abstract. That's not mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even expanding that a little um, past just, like, the specific situation of crappy um, healthcare in the U.S., he um, is in a position where just he can't be helped by medicine, like, either because he doesn't have health insurance or it's very, he could have very easily been in a situation where he just, he was, had a condition that was impossible to solve. And, like, Lila's condition, she's got an inoperable tumor. And that's just, that's something that, as humans, we really have to deal with, is the, like, our own mortality and the mortality of people that we love. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, and it's really hard, and that's one of those quintessential human things. I think it's also really interesting that um, Sam has a bit of a foil in Layla's mother, because Dean mm-hmm. and Layla both sort of occupy the space of they're the victims of these health conditions, and they're the ones facing down death, but it's really their closest loved ones who are their fiercest allies. And Layla's mother does a lot of, like, she says a lot of things that Layla herself would never say. Like, Layla's mother says to Dean, why you, why not my daughter? Um, which is the question that the episode asks, but it's Layla's mother that asks that because she's the one who's fighting for Layla and she's the one like Sam who is facing down not just the prospect of death, but the person they love the most dying. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's very clear that Sam and Layla's mother are in some ways struggling with the idea of Dean and Layla dying more than Dean and Layla are. Yes. They've come to terms with it. They've accepted it. They're not happy about it, but it's, it's an inevitability to them. Mm -hmm. But Sam and Layla's mother are angry. Exactly. And they're the ones that seem to be mostly driving the desire to go to LaGrange's to Mm -hmm. get help. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, this is sort of an interesting early insight into Dean's tendency towards self-sacrifice. And I think it's also kind of an early critique of that tendency. Yeah, Um, I mean... it It is a critique in a some way, but it's also a critique of, in some ways, of Sam trying so desperately to save Dean rather right. than accepting it. Yeah, yeah. It's like Dean gives up too easily, but Sam, Sam's complete unwillingness to deal with reality isn't presented in a positive light either. No. I think it's actually, it's really interesting. When I was rewatching the episode the most recent time, so, like, an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The scene where Dean is sitting in the hospital bed and he's telling Sam, like, it's going to be okay, like, you need to accept this. Uh, He gives him a task to, like, help him through. He's like, take care of my car. Mm -hmm. Um, It really reminds me of 
the opening scene in Guardians of the Galaxy, where Peter's mom is dying. Uh, I mean, it's been a really long time since I've seen that movie, but I think I remember that scene. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same thing, right? It's like, like, take care of this. Yeah, it's like a sick family member on their deathbed, but they're like almost preternaturally calm. They're trying to be optimistic for this person they care for. They're giving them something that they think will help carry them through. Um, And it just really reinforced for me, like both Dean acting like that and Sam's reaction really brings home this idea of Dean as functionally being Sam's parent. Mm, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking when you brought that up. It's like, <laughs> yep, he's he's acting calm for Sam. He's not allowing himself probably all of the emotions that he's fe- definitely feeling in that moment to get in the way of doing his ultimate goal, which is to take care of Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I think that, I feel like we touched on a lot of the things that make this episode really, really good in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. Um, we're definitely going to come back to this episode in later uh, episodes of the podcast because we're going to do one on religion. So I think that examining it through a lens of what does Supernatural have to say um, about religion and what, um, and like how, what is it Supernatural's relationship, especially with uh, Judeo-Christian religion and Catholicism in particular, um, <laughs> is going to be a really interesting and long and very in-depth discussion. So I'm pretty satisfied with just sort of talking about the things we love about faith and then moving on to another episode. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay, so I think it's really interesting that your first episode is faith because it deals with um, Dean dying. Because the episode that I want to talk about is Mystery Spot. (laughs) (laughs) Which is season three, episode 11. Um, And I sort of, like I said, like you said, uh, you broke yours, your episodes into categories. I also did that. um, Though I'm gonna uh, tell you the categories later, but um, this one is, like, sort of overall favorite. And I was re-watching it, and I have seen this episode so many times that I don't think I even needed to rewatch it, because I remembered every single part of it. Like, with absolute clarity. <laughs> this episode is, uh, is definitely one of the gimmicky episodes. And I love the gimmicky episodes of Supernatural. Um, in the ten episodes I listed for this entire, like, for this episode of the podcast that I had to narrow down then to three. I think nine of them were uh, gimmick episodes. Like, I love the gimmick episodes. Mm-hmm. They're my favorite. Like, they're amazing standalone episodes. And um, Mystery Spot is really one of those. It's a Groundhog Day episode, which, I mean, I understand why Groundhog Day is the trope namer, but like, also, it's just like a horrible name for a trope. <laughs> But yeah, it's, um, the thing I really like about it is, and this is unusual for me, it's a Sam-centric episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually like Dean-centric episodes, um, but this one's actually really good. It's delightful. <laughs> it's just, it's, the, the loop is so much fun. 
And, like, yeah, Dean keeps dying at the end of the loops, but, like, in really goofy, cartoonish ways. And it's a trickster episode, which are always, which is always fun because the trickster episodes are always ridiculous and crazy. And it's interesting to contrast Mystery Spot with Faith because it's basically the exact same, like, plot moral, right? Where it's like, you know, Dean might die and you have to be okay with that. Like, your self-destructive behaviors just because Dean dies aren't healthy and they're not helping anyone, um, which is like overall the moral of this episode. And so it's like interesting that you were like, oh, Faith is my favorite because Mystery Spot is very similar in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I think it is really interesting that we both picked episodes that deal with Sam having to confront the idea of Dean's mortality. Um, I mean, there are a lot of episodes like that, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love Gabriel as well. Like, he is such a fun and interesting character. Like, this episode is funny, but it's also sad. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 it's it starts off really funny. Yes. Watching Sam live through this day over and over again. And yeah, okay, like the first time Dean dies, you're like horrified. But after that, it's like hilarious because you know he's going to be fine. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And it goes through that like series of just like him dying in a a variety of improbable ways (laughs) caused by Sam trying to save him. And it's so funny. (laughs) It's it's a very funny episode and it's meant to be very funny, at least in that part. Yeah, yeah, and then it sort of builds to this crescendo, and eventually you realize that you're laughing, but Sam is crying. Yeah. Like, this is awful for him. And then it gets really sad. Yeah, it gets really dark, because Dean dies for real, and then Sam just goes, like, fucking crazy. Also, the robo-Sam that they portray at the end of the episode is fucking hilarious like Jared had like he's like obviously been told you know what just just operate like you're a robot and it's like you see him like he's like closed the 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 back of the impala looking forward like not even looking at anything and it's like uh really (laughs) director this is where you're going with this okay fine um (laughs) also this is like sort of an aside from what we were talking about but one of the things that really struck me is um I really like when the show highlights Dean's intelligence and I think that this episode does that in a really subtle way where Sam has had a hundred plus iterations of this day to try and like break himself out of the cycle and it's not until Dean points out things to him that he starts making progress and it's like from Dean's perspective he's only had one day to think about it Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what about the lady? Or what about, like, this or that? And Sam's like, oh, I never thought of that. In the hundred days that I've been doing this, I hadn't thought about that one thing. <laughs> and I mean, like, yeah, Sam's gotten sort of trapped by, like, being in a loop and trying to, like, figure it out. But it's it's kind of satisfying to see Dean be the one who kind of figures it out in a lot of ways because it's... It's just nice because Sam is always touted as the, like, the traditionally intelligent brother. And whenever Dean does something that's like, oh, right, Dean is also very intelligent. It's it's just kind of nice. I agree. Like, I also really like episodes that highlight um, Dean's capability 
Um, and yeah, like that's a pretty like standard Groundhog Day trope, right? Mm-hmm. Where the only way, like one of the things you have to figure out to get to break the cycle is that you can't do it by yourself. Mm. Uh, but it's so satisfying every time. Like there's a reason we love this trope. Yes. It's a really interesting insight into Sam's mind that mm-hmm. like we hadn't really gotten for a while at this point in the show, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, because this is season three, about midway, and so Sam is wrestling with the fact that Dean has got a year to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and season three is much more of a Dean-centric season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just by necessity, because, and, and again, it's a, it's a half season, so it's got a lot less episodes than every other season, so they had to cram more into less Season three is one of my favorite seasons, so I think they did a really good job with cramming more into less. Yeah, I I totally agree. Season three is easily one of my favorite seasons of the show. It's it's got this great tension to it that's inherent in the thing, and we get to see Dean sort of like being more reckless than he has been in the past, because, Mm -hmm. and you sort of get another dimension to his character, because no longer is he just Sam's protector, but he's now like oh, well, what the hell, sort of, um, let's just go for whatever seems good. Um, that's an aspect of his character that we don't, like, he's always been sort of happy-go-lucky and definitely doesn't have the greatest impulse control, but uh, now you sort of get this, like, edge of desperation to it, and the ticking clock, and of course, makes for inherent drama and that sort of thing, so, but it's, yeah, it's just a really, it's a really good season. Yeah, but Mystery Spot does a really good job of bringing out the emotionality and the despair that Sam is starting to feel um, and gives us an insight into what might happen to Sam after Dean dies. Yes, which is um, an interesting thing because I was watching a couple episodes of season six and Soulless Sam is pretty similar to the like Sam we see at the end of the uh, end of mystery spot and obviously Sam never actually gets to the point where he the way he's acting in mystery at the end of mystery spot in the rest of the show but Gabriel even says like whoever says that Dean is a psychotic one like clearly (laughs) has never seen you in action or something like that and um, I think that's really clear and I think that um, it goes back to the conversation we were having before about who is better adjusted as a Dean or Sam <laughs> and your argument that like actually Sam is probably the one who has um, more adjustments to make to actually living in the real world. And I think that that is pretty well displayed in mystery spot. Like he, like you, we see a little bit of Dean after Sam dies at the end of season two and mm-hmm. yeah, he makes a deal with a crossroads demon, but like that's after one day of Sam being dead and he's still in the grieving process and like I mean that's exactly what Sam tried to do later on so like he can be very much forgiven for having done that but after Dean dies Sam just goes crazy like he just turns into this like robotic shell of a human being and has absolutely no other mission in his life he doesn't even have enough time to like hang out with Bobby or anything like that and he just like narrows his entire life into this one mission of finding the trickster and it's 
it's definitely like way more of a severe reaction that goes on for months like at least three months that we know of Sam just doing this and um yeah it's uh it's pretty clear from at least this episode that Sam is the one who who relies on Dean a little bit more than Dean relies on Sam for mental health Season six, episode one, we see Dean after Sam has been dead for a while. Um, and like, yeah, he's he's still struggling with that somewhat, but he's like struggling like a normal human. He's not. Yeah. Like he's dealing with a grief and he's got Lisa and Ben. He's making a life for himself. Like, yeah, Dean's Dean's life with Lisa and Ben is uh is really interesting and it's it's definitely like it gets ruined and it's unclear whether or not he would have gone back to hunting on his own without Sam. I really didn't like the way season six handled uh, Dean's relationship with Lisa and Ben once Sam came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it felt cheap to me the way yeah. that they just sort of like quickly wrote them out of the plot. Um, and like, okay, they kind of give Lisa a reason for being like, this isn't working anymore, but it's just so poorly handled. I just, I don't like it. It's because they killed the yellow eyes in season two. And if they hadn't, then they would have been like, oh, we'll just put Lisa on the ceiling and catch her on fire. That'll be fine. <laughs> That's how we get rid of women we don't like, right? Oh my God. <laughs> That's how we write ourselves out of corners. <laughs> I mean... That's the thing, though. Like, they didn't have to write them out. I would have been so on board with watching a show where Dean is trying to juggle having a life with and a relationship with Lisa and Ben and also maybe doing some hunting from time to time and still maintaining his relationship with Sam and Bobby. Like, that's a show I would watch. I would have watched the heck out of that. sorry that that is we got on a huge tangent but that's okay um so yeah mystery spot a lot of fun um great scenes the like the bit where they uh where sam and dean uh have they say the exact same sentence Mm -hmm. uh, in unison i remember reading is was all done in one take which is very impressive well done jensen and jared yeah it's always been one of my favorite episodes i will watch that episode uh, into infinity and uh i don't think it has nearly the same emotional impact as heart does like it doesn't really grapple with the same like really big questions but as far as just like a fun episode with like uh oh right they're dealing with like real shit uh at the end it's a really really good episode yeah it's really good and gabriel's an awesome character so i know <laughs> He, uh, he's a good foil to the Winchesters because he points out sort of their, the, the ridiculousness of, like, all their stuff that they do and sort of helps them, like, right. like shows a mirror and be like, hey, maybe you don't have to be quite so melodramatic. Yeah, he's like the calm, middle, well, calm, quote-unquote, <laughs> uh, middle brother that they don't have right and he explicitly draws that parallel he's like you know like you're fitting vessels for michael and lucifer because you're just like them Mm, it's true 
Uh, and one of the things, just on an aside on Changing Channels, one of the things I really love about Changing Channels is that when they're in the different movie verses, or the mm-hmm. different TV verses, like, especially in the sitcom one, they're in the hotel that they are in in real life, uh-huh. but it's bright colors and the setting is, like, the lights and the colors and everything is so bright and aggressively happy and that sort of thing. And then it switches over to just being the, like, real supernatural world. And it's so much dingier and darker and the grays are so much stronger and everything. And it that, that change is just it's such a brilliant one and it's one they make a lot of times when they do transitions between uh, pocket universes and um, back to the like real supernatural universe and it's a really nice touch that I, I really appreciate them doing because it just highlights how grimy the supernatural universe is. Yeah I was watching uh, another episode recently where they did that I don't remember which episode it was but it was like super noticeable, right? When they went back to the regular supernatural lighting. I think the other lighting wasn't as extreme in this episode, whatever episode it was, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Um, But when it suddenly reverted back to the regular supernatural lighting, it was like, oh. Yeah, (laughs) it's like really obvious. But anyway, that's that's my favorite episode is Mystery Spot. Well, so my second episode, I figured since Supernatural is primarily a horror show, uh, I should pick, for one of my best, I should pick the episode I find the scariest. Oh, I know which one it is then. (laughs) Which, as you know, is Family Remains. Wait, I thought it was Wendigo. No, it's Family Remains. Wendigo is very scary, but Family Remains. It's the one with the kids who live in the walls. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. I couldn't sleep for the two nights after I watched it, and I couldn't talk to you about it because we were doing this. And I knew, I knew that if I told you, you would know. Oh, no, Marin, no. Yeah, like, Wendigo freaks me out. Like, after I watch Wendigo, I, like, can't walk to my car in the dark by myself. But, like, Family Remains, it doesn't scare me as much while I'm watching it, but it sticks with me. It speaks to a lot of things that people find horrific. Um, And it's been a very long time since I've seen Family Remains, so please correct me if I misremember it. But Family Remains is about children and houses, two things that people find pretty creepy generally um and with houses in particular um the idea that things live in the walls and can come out and just like kill you or eat you is terrifying like either because they're rats or any kind of creature like that's a terrifying concept and people have found like when I was a kid I found my house creepy and I've I lived there for a really long time and knew everything about that house and I still found it creepy and so uh it does not surprise me that this is one of the scariest episodes just because it deals with some really classical horror um just like things that are scary yeah I think for me like the idea of sharing the house with someone that you're unaware of is just like so creepy as a concept to start with 
And then, like, the way the episode is shot is really scary. Like, they don't actually, they don't show you the kids for a long time. And then the first time they do, it's like, one of them is standing really far away in a field. At the time, for most of the episode, you think there's only one kid, but it turns out there are two, which is also scary. (laughs) And, like, super duper pale, um, like, old raggedy clothes like unkept hair like you think it's a ghost and so do the Winchesters and then like one of the first times you see the girl really clearly she they're like gathered in the kitchen like all of them and the Winchesters have put a circle of salt around the whole family and themselves and they're standing in it And they're like, all right, as long as you stay in the circle, like, she can't hurt you. And so this girl, she, like, comes slowly out of this really dark Mm -hmm. recess into the wall. I'm remembering this scene now that you're describing it. (laughs) And she, like, slowly walks across the floor. And then she crosses the salt line. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, things that you think you know the rules to, and then they don't, then they're able to break those rules, are terrifying. That's, like, the scariest thing ever. Because I think one of the things that makes Supernatural really manageable um, as a horror movie, if you're, well, I don't find it that scary anymore, but when I was younger, I found it scarier. One of the things for me is, like, if things follow rules, like, house can only get you if you're in the house ghosts can only get you if you're not in a salt circle and then those those rules get broken that's terrifying Mm -hmm. because you don't have any defense i think for me like the episodes that are ultimately about humans almost always turn out to be the scariest because the humans don't have to follow rules yeah i mean it's like when we were talking about um the benders the benders when we were talking about the benders it's the same thing right where they were like humans man i don't know (laughs) i understand humans less than i understand monsters like there are definitely some horror stuff i've seen that does follow the rules and it's still terrifying but a lot of things that you just don't know the rules to are scarier than anything else yeah so when the family first shows up we don't see it happen but we see uh, so the family gets to the house. They all go to their rooms. The youngest boy in the family, he must be like 10 to 12, I would guess, um, goes up to his room and he, he like hears or sees something in the closet. And again, the way it's filmed, like the, the interior of the closet is just like a black space, right? Like we can't see what's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he says like, hello or something. And he rolls a tennis ball into the closet and then it gets thrown back out to him by something. Oh yeah. Terrifying. Um, and then we hear, we hear him say, oh, like come out. It's okay. Like, do you want to play? Something like that. That's kind of nerve-wracking because then it, it just like flashes to another scene. But then we see him later and he's fine. And then they find written on the walls in crayon, in red crayon, 
um, is the word go. Mm. Um, and like the whole family gathers around. Um, the parents are mad because they think the kids did it. They all stay. Um, but then later in the episode, once they've been dealing with the kids for a while and are like halfway through the night, the kids kidnap the young boy and like bring him through the walls to their like hideout. And they have him like tied up in there, but they also offer him food, AKA Rats. A, a rat. Mm. Yeah. Like that scene is also really scary to me because yeah. Okay. They wanted him to stay originally, but like, what are they going to do with him now? Um, and what are they going to do if he, like, hurts their feelings? That's just really scary for me as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and the thing where they live in the walls and, like, that nobody ever knew that they existed and that they lived there for years. That's yeah. scary. <laughs> One of the things that's, like, uh, whenever you've got, like, children who, uh, like, this is a really common thing when you've got children in horror movies where they will encounter the child ghosts or, like, the, the usually the child ghosts. And, uh, but in this case, it's just the child human being. The kids always make friends with the ghosts or whatever. Or, like, oh, this is fine. There's this kid in the closet. That's okay. Like, we moved into this house and there's a child here in the closet. Like, at 10 years old, I would have known something was up. Like, there's no reason that a 10-year-old child meets another child in their house, and they they know that it's their house, and thinks, oh, this is fine. This person's supposed to be here. If the kid in question was a little younger, like, maybe, or, like, if, if the kid that they, if the child ghost or whatever that they meet tell, spins them some great story about how, oh, I'm just the neighbor kid. I didn't realize anyone was moving here and I like to explore old abandoned houses. Like, fine. But like, that never happens. For me, like, because I like don't know the pattern it's following, it's even scarier than it might be for someone who's like more familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I am familiar with campfire ghost stories. Um, and one of the scenes in the movie, or in the movie, in the episode, you know that there's that, there's that like old story about the babysitter. She's at like, she's like staying overnight at the house with the kids. And there's like a murderer on the loose. And so she like locks everything up. Um, and she hears like a weird noise and like sees something by her bed and she thinks it's the dog so she like puts her hand down and is like oh hey Fido like how's it oh, going? Oh and then she, it, get, she it licks her, her dog and in the morning the dog is dead and <sighs> it was the murderer. That happens in this episode. Ah, yeah that's disgusting. You're right. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah and like when it happens like they know that we know that story so they don't even make it explicit. They're just like, we know that you know what's happening. And it's like, that ever 
so slight chance that it could actually be the dog makes it so much scarier because it's like I know I know this story I know what's happening but like I don't have proof it's been a very long time since I've seen that episode but uh I would probably enjoy re-watching it um and it's it's probably does a really good job of being a very scary episode the family is dealing with the recent death of their oldest son which is something oh, that right. we through. Um, and like it draws some interesting parallels between um, Dean struggling with his guilt um, from what happened in hell, because this is a season four episode, um, and Sam struggling with his, with his own guilt about what happened. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's about all I have to say about that. It's interesting to me in the something that you picked a favorite episode that scared you so badly. Well, I mean, like I said, like I feel like because Supernatural is a horror show, in some ways I felt like one of my top three had to be the scariest episode. (laughs) Interesting. Because I definitely think of Supernatural as as a horror show, obviously, but that was not one of the criteria I even, like, it never passed my mind that, like, trying to find whatever episode had scared me the most Mm -hmm. would be one of the things. It's also, I don't think I get quite as scared by Supernatural as you do. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the horror genre, so I watch, I think I've seen quite a few more horror movies than you have, and so, like, for me, it, it, like, sort of gotten to the point where, fewer things scare me than they used to so that's something I considered and with that we're going to end part one of this episode Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it and we hope that you will join us for part two which will be released uh, two weeks from now Dreams of the Past podcast is written researched and produced by Ray and Mish you can reach them on Twitter at dreamspastpod Tumblr at dreamsofthepastpodcast.tumblr.com and email at dreamsofthepastpodcast at gmail.com. Dreams of the Past Podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Please rate and review us. Thanks to Benjamin Geyer and Lynn Music for our theme song, Lonesome Ranger.